There are certain skills, critical skills, that you need, that we all need, not only to get ahead in our lives, but also to ensure a successful path forward for our children and for the survival of our constitutional republic. You're listening to All About Skills, where we discuss the eight critical skills you need to succeed and how CEOs, placement directors, executive recruiters, and career-minded individuals utilize them to propel themselves to a higher level of understanding and achievement. Get ready to learn, master, and excel with your host, Charlie Jett. Thank you, Anne, and welcome to It's All About Skills. This is a series of programs where we discuss the critical skills and their application in the real world. My name is Charlie Jett, and we're coming to you from our studio in beautiful downtown Chicago. I'm an internationally certified professional coach specializing in career management, skill development, positive intelligence, and career crises. And we have a wonderful guest today. Vice Admiral Sean Buck recently retired as the 63rd Superintendent of the United States Naval Academy. Admiral Buck is a graduate of the U.S. Naval Academy and received his commission in 1983. He was designated a Naval Flight Officer in 1985. While flying the P-3C Orion, Admiral Buck's early at-sea operational tours were with the Fighting Marlins of Patrol Squadron, that's called VP-40. He also served in, as a, in a disassociated sea tour of the USS Theodore Roosevelt, CVN-71, as the Catapult and Arresting Gear Division Officer, and later as a department head tour with the Tridents of VP-26. He subsequently commanded VP-26 and Patrol and Reconnaissance Wing 11. Now, as a flag officer, Admiral Buck served in many senior capacities in the Navy's Patrol and Reconnaissance Force, culminating in his role as commander of the U.S. Naval Forces Southern Command for the U.S. Fourth Fleet. Admiral Buck, as I mentioned before, was appointed the 63rd Superintendent of the United States Naval Academy on July 26, 2019, where he served until his retirement. So welcome, Admiral Buck, to It's All About Skills. Charlie, it's wonderful to be with you. Thanks for giving me the opportunity to uh, address your audience and have a great discussion with you. Hey, it's my pleasure to talk to a fellow Naval Academy grad. And to start out with, let's go back a few years, okay? Tell us about where you grew up and what led you to go to the Naval Academy. Well, we just have to go back just a few years, Charlie. It wasn't that long ago. <laughs> I, 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 I love it, okay? I uh I, I'm a, a Navy legacy. I had the good fortune of having a grandfather on my maternal side, served 37 years in the Navy. He was a senior chief petty officer and then got his LDO commission and went on to serve for 37 total years. And then my dad was a 30-year Navy captain, Naval aviator. And I think growing up in a household where I had strong influence from my grandfather and my pop and my mom and living a Navy lifestyle, moving all around the country, it 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 caught. Uh, the, the bug caught me. I told my dad when I was a little boy, I wanted to be a Navy pilot like him and in the pictures that I would see hanging in my house. And I said, how do I do that? And he said, well, a really good way to do it is to attend the United States Naval Academy for college. I can help you with that if you'd like to do that. 
And I guess the rest is history. Well, you seem to got into the Naval Academy. You, what year did you uh, enter enter the academy? I entered in uh, May of 1979, about a month after I graduated from high school in Indianapolis, Indiana, where, uh, you know, I guess that's where I grew up, was Indiana. My dad retired in 1974, and I got to go to junior high and high school in one place without moving. And uh, I think you'd agree with me. Your audience would probably agree with us. In high school, that's where you make your first set of real lifelong friends, and usually you end up calling that home. Yep, that's for sure. And uh, but well, you got a you got a rude awakening when you arrived in Annapolis in '79, right? I sure did. I uh, I wasn't sure what had hit me. Um, <laughs> sometimes people joked that the Navy, the word Navy stands for never again volunteer yourself. <laughs> and uh, I showed up in the summer of 19, uh, 1979 to start what we call plebe summer, a little bit of an indoctrination summer before the academic year starts in August. And uh, I wasn't sure uh, I knew what hit me. My uh, the, the men and women, the leadership at the Naval Academy that was leading me during my plebe summer was historic. It was they uh, that class had the very first women ever admitted to the service academies. The class of 1980 were our seniors that were running around the new freshmen or the new plebes. Wow, I remember. I remember when they uh, when they made the change and allowed women to go to the Naval Academy. I thought it was a wonderful thing to do. You bet. If if you look at the demographics of our country. Uh, ever since then, in, in 1976, when they first entered to ultimately graduate in 1980, the demographic uh, demographics of our country and of the world were truly trending toward the majority population would be female. And uh, leadership in government, leadership in industry, leadership in the military was inevitably sometime going to probably be with women. So let's start getting women in the military. And, I can tell you over my 44-year career, the women that I've had a chance to serve alongside have done very, very well. And they they basically go out there and, as you know, put it uh, to put it mildly, they kick ass in the in the real world. Yes, sir. They're good teammates. You know, aside from the rigorous academics, I mean, you 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 were faced with rigorous academics for four years, but let's don't get into that. Let's let's look a little bit about uh, look at uh, the the kind of important skills that you learned as a midshipman at the Naval Academy, aside from the, aside from the, from the, from the academics. Well, the most important thing that I learned and my classmates learned and midshipmen continue to learn to this day, Charlie, is character. It is by far head and shoulders above everything else we do there is to teach character and ethics and honor and integrity and that needs to be the foundation, which you then lay a world-class education on top of and a tremendously strong physical fitness program to make a leader of character. The Naval Academy likes to say they graduate leaders of character. So that's a, that was a real important skill set that I had continued to, to be honed there. And another fantastic skill set that you walk away from there is teamwork. 
no one graduates from a service academy alone and doing it by themselves. You and me and each and every one of us, we know in spades that it you got to be a good teammate because you won't be good at everything. You'll need to lean on your teammates to help you through where, where you might be weak, and you're able to then contribute your skill sets to help your teammates get through where they might be weak. Well, you do. You get a world-class academic uh, uh, education, but then you get these extra things that you just talked about, character and, and leadership and, uh, and the like. Now, when you graduated, you had a chance to pick a, a particular part of the service to go into. And what was your service selection and why did you choose that? I, you, mentioned, you mentioned earlier on you wanted to be a naval aviator, so I, I assume we're going to go there. Yes, sir. I uh, I knew going in that I had a great interest in aviation and wanted to be a Navy pilot. And uh, it's a very competitive process at the Naval Academy to choose the community that you'll serve in as a profession. You can choose between surface ships, submarines, aviation, uh, Navy special warfare to be a Navy SEAL uh, as the unrestricted line communities of warfighting. And if you're not physically qualified, you could also find yourself in logistics and supply, intelligence, or meteorology. As I said, I, I went in wanting to be a Navy pilot, worked real hard to make sure I had a competitive class standing such that when it came my time to choose, I could choose Navy pilot. And I was successful at doing that. Wow. Well, you know, you certainly have an oppor opportunity to uh, do practically anything. But one of the nice things about graduating from the academy and so forth is when you do graduate, you've got a job. I mean, there's yes. no problem with that. You, and you have a job and you have a good one that uh, is way beyond your normal years. Now, tell us a little bit about uh, your Navy experience and your career uh, after choosing uh, Navy Air up to the point where you were selected to flag rank. You know, what were the most important skills uh, that were critical for you uh, during this period in your Navy career? What the Navy's looking for in their young officers and their young enlisted when they first join is after they give us our professional training, once they taught me how to fly an airplane, then we're really hoping to get five to eight or five to nine really solid years of warfighting where you practice the professional warfighting skill you had, flying airplanes, projecting power, delivering weapons, and chasing bad guys around the world to protect our national defense. So that, that, that probably define the first 10 years of my career progression was warfighting and flying and deploying around the world with squadrons, coming home periodically for some well-deserved shore duty in which I was always seeking educational opportunities when I came ashore. And then you'd alternate and rotate right back to sea duty and warfighting. From about the 10-year mark, to uh, probably the 15-year mark is where you learn a little bit about middle management. You focus a little bit less on flying and much more on leadership, tactics, and strategic planning. And then when you combine those two, if you have excelled 
and stood out amongst the crowd, uh, uh, amongst the leadership, that's when you begin to get selected to command, to take charge of, of a unit, of a command. And I was fortunate enough at, at the 15, 16 year mark to command for the first time in my career. And I commanded a squadron, VP-26, a patrol and reconnaissance squadron, uh, flying uh, 10 P-3 aircraft, a squadron of about 400 to 450 sailors. And then you you continue to do war fighting. You continue to defend our nation, but you're the commanding officer. You're the person in charge of the well-being, the care and feeding, and the mission accomplishment, every aspect of that squadron. It's competitive nature in, in the Navy. If you continue to do well and excel ahead of all your peers, the Navy will continue to pick you to command at even higher levels with greater responsibility. I had that fortune. I was then selected to become as a Navy captain, a air wing commander in which the patrol air wing had six operational squadrons under, under my watch. Commanded there, and then that ultimately, Charlie, led to, with, with some great success and some luck and some great teammates, that led me to the point where I was selected for flag rank. Wow. What was it like, just backing up for a second, the first time you were selected for a command? You mentioned, you, you put some emphasis on that. Let's revisit that for a second. What was that, what, was, what went on? What did you feel like when that happened? the greatest honor of my life it was what i had been focused on since i was a plebe at the naval academy at the naval academy they began to gave us give us an awareness of the importance of command at sea whether you're commanding a ship a submarine or an aviation squadron they told us that that was the ultimate goal to strive for hard to get but very rewarding if you do so when I was ultimately selected at the 15 year mark, that was the culmination to that point of 19 years of focus and hard work and striving to attain that accomplishment and that honor and privilege to command. It, the, your, your commander command tour, your squadron command tour is probably the best command tour, the most rewarding you'll ever have in your career. It's where you get to know your people really, really well, intimately. You have a war fighting mission, um, and it just doesn't get any better than 05 Command. That's tremendous. Well, now, you mentioned that after that period of time, you were uh, selected for flag rank. Uh, tell us a little bit about what that means, and what were your thoughts uh, at the time about the major challenges you were about to face? To be selected for flag rank for our audience, that means to be promoted to the rank of admiral. And an admiral is uh, assigned a flag a, in the Navy. An operational admiral has a Navy blue flag with either a one white star, two for rear admiral, three for vice admiral, or four white stars for the rank of full admiral. We call those flag ranks because you are represented by a flag on buildings or flagpoles or on cars when you move about. 
I got tossed right back into the operational warfighting uh, world, Charlie, as a one star. It was almost like starting over, but with a tremendous amount of responsibility, oversight, and accountability at the at the flag rank to do operational warfighting. I was then in charge of many, many air wings, lots of logistics aircraft, many Navy personnel on the ground and at sea, taking on a much broader Navy warfighting mission. And in my particular case, I was assigned to the Western Pacific. I was headquartered and lived in the country of Japan but I was in charge of patrolling the entire Western Pacific was a was about 72 million square miles wow. of ocean with with good guys and bad guys. And that was where the Navy had asked me to protect our national defense in that way. Well, that's quite a load. And you did that and you ultimately uh, were uh, commander of the uh... U.S. Naval Forces Southern Command uh, uh, of the Fourth Fleet. Yes, sir. I came home uh, uh, as a two-star admiral. I was selected to be a numbered fleet commander, the United States Fourth Fleet. We have six numbered fleet commands. The U.S. Fourth Fleet is responsible for protecting the underbelly of our country, of the continental United States. My... Uh, me and my team's area of responsibility was the Caribbean, Central America, South America, the Antarctic, and the South Atlantic Ocean, and half of the South Pacific Ocean, and protecting uh, protecting us from any anything that might come and try to uh, hit us from the southern approaches to the country. Doing counter narcotics, illegal migration, illegal fishing, uh, terrorism that might want to come up through the Amazon River and Central America corridors. Uh, those were all the different mission sets that we had in the Fourth Fleet. During that time, what were the, uh, the the most the most numerous or the most frequent kinds of missions that uh, you undertook? I would suspect they would be drug related or things like that. What was that? What was that for that part of the uh, your responsibility? It was counter narcotics. It was uh, it was patrolling both over sea and over land over the Amazon River Basin, doing counter narcotics, trying to identify uh, where the drug labs were, how those drugs moved to the coast to be then shipped, and to try to uh, um, interdict them on the seas before they reached our coastline via submarine via surface vessel or via a small airplane. And then uh, the other mission was a really neat mission, Charlie. It was, it was humanitarian. There are many disasters, natural disasters that happened in the Southern Hemisphere, mainly hurricanes, flooding, drought, fires. And we did a lot of humanitarian assistance and disaster relief, being a good partner to so many countries in Latin America. Wow. So you served in that capacity for two or three years? Three and a half years. It was going to be, it was nominally going to be two to two and a half. And the Chief of Naval Operations uh, extended me an extra year in command as he had anticipated me 
being his selection to go be the superintendent of the U.S. Naval Academy and to get my timing in line to properly relieve the former superintendent, uh, I stayed in command of the fourth fleet an extra year, so three and a half years. So when you you mentioned you got you got word at some time that hey, going back to Annapolis as superintendent was going to be on the on the on the agenda. What were your thoughts when that first came up? I pinched myself. No bigger honor. Uh, I, I I couldn't believe it. I I had actually responded once to my leadership saying if. If, if it was a perfect world and you could be assigned where you wanted to be assigned, what would you like to do as a senior flag officer? And I said, I would like to be the superintendent of the U.S. Naval Academy. And darned if it came uh, came true and I was given the opportunity. Holy cow. Now, let's 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 take the let's look at the time between you finished your flag uh, experience uh, and then you're getting ready to go to the Naval Academy. What would you sum up to be the essential skills that you had at that time? All the stuff that you've learned and how you applied and what you were going to bring to Bancroft Hall, to the Naval Academy when you arrived. What were the essential skills? The most essential skill was what we talked about at the beginning of our podcast here, yep. which was I needed to bring character, honor, and integrity so that I could lead by example. It was the number one thing that we continue to imbue upon the midshipmen. And the best way you do that is through your example from the superintendent on down. So I brought my character with me. Um, I I understood I was selected because of my reputation of, of knowing how to take care of people really well. And I was in charge of the care and feeding of 4,400 young 18 to 22 year old young men and women. And their parents had entrusted them to our nation, to our Navy, to our Naval Academy. And it was my solemn promise to be able to take care of their kids as they sent them off to college and sent them off to military service. I'm also good at team building. And there's no way that you can run the United States Naval Academy by yourself. I was fortunate enough to be paired up with a fantastic team. And uh, I used my team building skills to empower them to help us as a team get us through. And we got through a very difficult situation, Charlie. I was the the superintendent during the, the pandemic. Wow, wow. And it was a, a heck of a challenge to keep that school open, to keep it running on time, to graduate each year, a thousand young men and women for the fleet. Uh, and to do it safely and still deliver a world-class education, still give them as many hands-on leadership opportunities as they as we could get them so that they were confident and capable young leaders to go to the fleet. And I'm very proud to tell you that the team, the Naval Academy team, we did it. You sure did. You sure did. Now, when you... Uh... It, it might be surprising to some people, I, I think, to know that the Naval Academy is among the top 10 liberal arts colleges in the United States. I mean, you know, when you get a, a ranking in the newspapers of here are the top 10 liberal arts colleges in the United States, you don't necessarily assume that the Naval Academy is going to be there. But I think they're fourth or fifth or something like that in the ranking. Uh, aside from academics, when you know that, as you mentioned earlier, 
that you go there, you really get a hefty load of academics. Looking back, how would you redefine, if you need to redefine, the kinds of things that young people learn when they become midshipmen at the Naval Academy? The three biggest things we want a midshipman, a graduating midshipman, a young commissioned officer to walk away from the Naval Academy with are one, what we talked about, strong character. We want them to have phenomenal critical thinking skills. We want them to be very agile on their on their feet to to when they're confronted with complex or complicated problems to be able to critically think through them and solve them. And we also need them to graduate with phenomenal time management. Uh, those are things that will truly allow them to multitask. And uh, as a Naval officer, as you know, and as I know in our careers, you need to be able to, to multitask very, very well and never drop any of those spinning plates that you got up in the air. If I uh, look back, I would not re-wicker anything, Charlie. I think the recipe for success is as it is at the Naval Academy now. We focus on character development and leadership development. We focus on a very, very strong STEM education, although it's mixed in with a tremendous liberal arts uh, education. That's why we're ranked number six liberal arts school in the nation. Um, and also there's a tremendous physical fitness program. Every midshipman has uh, mandatory physical fitness standards, which are very stringent. I wouldn't change a thing. I, uh, as I ask the fleet, who is the customer, they're the recipient of the product of the Naval Academy. When I ask the commanding officers out in the fleet, are you satisfied with Naval Academy graduates? They say, yes, no problem. Keep up the good work. Fantastic. Well, you know, in, in, in life, everything is a life cycle and all good things come to an end. Or, you know, you have the startup, you have the, uh, the intermediate kind of thing, and then you have the end and so forth. And at one day, one day it became toward the end of your Naval career of uh, when you're at the Naval Academy and you were, you were facing retirement. Now, tell us about the day that you retired from your career as a Naval officer, a spectacular career. You know, what were your major recollections about that experience and how did you feel about that? What was it like? Uh, and what were your, upon reflection, the most important skills that you had learned that contributed to the success you had? That's a, that's a big question, but just tell me everything, okay? <laughs> I was honored and privileged to serve for 40 years as a commissioned officer and 44 total years in uniform, adding those four extra years as a midshipman. If I could rewind the clock and do it again, I would do everything just as I did before, the goods and the others. My, uh, my retirement was somewhat unusual at the very end. I had a retirement ceremony on the 7th of July, 2023. And the most important thing to do during that ceremony, Charlie, was to thank people. I had an assembled audience of about four or 450 people. They were the people that I invited 
they were people that had meant something in my life and had helped me get to where I had gotten. And it was my chance to publicly say thank you to my family, to my shipmates, my teammates, anyone who had had any touch on me and made me the man and made me the officer, made me the husband and made me the dad that I am. So there was a lot of thank yous. I have no regrets at all. Uh, my wife and I worked very, very hard to make sure that we had us fulfilling a career and, and took advantage of the opportunities as best we could. I was blessed on this entire 42 of the 44 year Navy journey to be teamed up with my wife, Joanne. I met her while I was a midshipman, fell in love with her, married her, and God bless her, she stayed with me through thick and thin. We had eight deployments. Uh, we made 27 family household moves with our family. And at the very end, uh, the best way that I could show my appreciation and my love was to say thank you to a lot of people. I ultimately retired on the 31st of August, about a month and a half, two months later, due to a very unusual circumstance in the US Congress that kept many of us still in uniform, but we don't need to go into that. But I did have a chance to say thank you to the folks. I have done a lot of reflection, a lot of very healthy reflection about what was how good it was, how lucky we were to be able to wear the cloth of our nation and to serve as a commissioned naval officer. Um, and then I also had a lot of time to begin to project on what does chapter two look like? Chapter one sure was awesome. So my wife and I are now embarking on trying to make chapter two just as good or better. Well, regarding chapter two, I love to hear that. Uh, regarding chapter two, and it's just great, great to hear the enthusiasm you have about that. As as you look forward to chapter two, what do you want to do? What you know? What 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 are the things that go through your mind? Realizing that you could do damn near anything you want. Well, the most rewarding thing to me is to give back and to watch teams succeed. So I. I still have a lot of energy and passion inside me. Um, I'd like to work, but I'm going to also carefully balance my work-life balance. And uh, I'm going to hope to be paired up with a good organization, a good team in some capacity and, and help them with their challenges, help them take advantage of their opportunities, help them succeed but I also will be sure that I take time to reunite and get to know my family better, to live life uh, a little bit more than I did in the Navy. Um, so I will, I, will, I will do my best to learn how to balance that. That's a difficult thing to do, Charlie. I have been running at 100 miles an hour for 40 years. And I'm trying to learn how to slow down and, and my wife would like me to stop and smell the roses. Uh, but she knows that I've got it inside me to continue to work for a while and, and help out another team as best I can. Well, I can tell you from what I know about you, I don't think there's going to be much, you're going to have much success in slowing down. I mean, you seem to have uh, have one one thing on your on your throttle, and that's all ahead flank. 
I mean, if you uh, slow down, it'll be go from flank to full. Okay, so <laughs> now, now let's just imagine for a minute that you, uh, and this may happen to you, it might have happened to you already, but assume that you returned to your high school in Indianapolis and so forth, and you were asked to give a high school graduation address. What would be the three or four key points that you would want to communicate to these young men and women who are graduating from high school in the environment that we're facing these days? Be a good person. Be a good teammate. Continue to learn and contribute as best you can to your community and our nation. They, they, they're obligated to be all four of those things. No citizen of the United States has a choice. We all need to work to be a good person, to continue to be a good teammate, always seek out education and make yourself better and give something back to the country that gives us so much. Well said, well said. I think it'd be well, very well received. Well, Admiral Buck, how, how can someone get in touch with you if they need to, if they would like to? Well, right now, I would I would encourage people to please find me on LinkedIn. LinkedIn. I am on LinkedIn. I have a site there and a way to communicate and reach out to me for any further dialogue. And I'm soon to unveil a new website uh, that represents the company that I've started. I've started a company called Actually in the Arena. Mm -hmm. It has a name and a theme after my favorite poem by Theodore Roosevelt, The Man in the Arena. Yep. And people will get to learn a lot more about me and be able to uh, ask me for help where they may need help in their professional organizations or lives. I'm going to embark on a little bit of leadership development, executive coaching, consulting, and public speaking and you'll be able to learn much more about that and, and what I'm about to do with my website, which will be actually in the arena. Actually in the arena. Well, I'll look forward to that. And boy, I can tell you, it sounds to me like you've got not only a lot to say, but you've got the moxie and the ability to actually deliver. Thank you. Well, I want to thank you so much, uh, Admiral Buck, for being our guest today on It's All About Skills. And and I have uh, one last question, and this is a quiz. This is a quiz at the end, uh, and it's it's uh, it's as follows: What's the good word? Go Navy, beat Army. You got it. Four straight A. <laughs> Thank you. Now, as for me, I'm an internationally certified career coach, professional coach, and I specialize in career management, leadership, skill development, career crises and positive intelligence. I also serve as a career coach from time to time for academy graduates, not only Naval Academy, but the other two, West Point and Air Force, for individuals who are making the transfer from transition from military service to the civilian world. And you can get in touch with me through my websites, charliejetcoaching.com, itsallaboutskills.com, or podcastpq.com. So I want to thank you all for listening today, and we'll see you next time as we discuss the critical skills on It's All About Skills. 
Thank you for listening to this episode of All About Skills. To learn more information about the critical skills, be sure to visit itsallaboutskills.com for access to resources like blogs, field studies, published books, and more about how to learn, how to use, and how to teach this important content. That's exclusively available on itsallaboutskills.com. We look forward to having you join us on the next episode so we can continue to help you learn, master, and excel by using critical skills right here on All About Skills.